last time I took a road trip? How many national parks could I hit in two weeks? What about hotels? Wait, hey, Erica, how much am I spending on travel? When your questions about life turn into questions about money, there's Erica, the virtual financial assistant to help you spend, save, and plan smarter. Only from Bank of America. What would you like the power to do? Erica is only available in the English language. You must download the latest version of the mobile banking app, only available on select mobile devices. Your chat may be recorded and monitored for quality assurance. Message and data rates and additional terms may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Rest is Money with me, Steph McGovern. And me, Robert Peston. So we've got a bit of a special episode to kick off your new year. January 2024, lots of people are going to be thinking about all the great things they're going to do this year and how they're going to be more productive. So we want to talk about productivity because it's a big deal. And in particular, we want to talk about why Britain is so unproductive because we're a bit rubbish at it. And it is one of the reasons why our economy isn't doing as well as it could be. It's because our businesses in particular are not productive enough. So we reckon if you can understand productivity and then solve it, we'll all be richer and have less inequality as a nation, which is why you'll hear both the Chancellor and the Shadow Chancellor this year going on about it. So in this special, we'll be talking about zombie companies, clusters, levelling up, free ports, the skills gap and all of the things that we think contribute to making us as a nation more productive. It's a really interesting topic, but I guess the first thing we should do is explain what we mean by productivity. Robert. What it's about is when you've got an employer, what are you bringing in for the employer as an employee, right? So what proportion of your employer's income from customers is down to your work? Right. That is what productivity basically means. I get how this you can totally break this down, for example, in a manufacturer's. So when I worked at Black & Decker, productivity was absolutely the key metric that everything was measured by. And it was really easy to measure in terms of units produced per hour. And it was dead simple. And the whole thing was we need to focus on increasing our productivity. And then while I was there, I got trained in this whole lean production area called Six Sigma. And that was about changing the variables on machines to see whether we 
could produce products that stayed within quality control measures but could be produced faster. So, for example, this one that I worked on in particular was the thing that sucks up leaves in your garden, the leaf blower, the fans that were made for this leaf blower, the factory making them was making them 24 hours a day, seven days a week and still weren't meeting demand. So they sent me in to use this Six Sigma training to like change the variables on the machines and measure. So I spent hours measuring all these impeller fans and then work out if we could produce them faster. So this worked and it meant we could increase the productivity in this factory to produce the amount we needed in five days a week and then the factory could close at the weekends and then that's what ended up me getting the awards and things and ending up on the telly. But anyway, that's an aside. But my point being is that was really easy to measure and to quantify and to understand. But how do you do that in a, in the services sector? How do you work out how to increase your productivity in, in the services sector? And that is the, what the majority of our economy is made up of. It, it's much harder, isn't it? Because there might be people more productive that there obviously will be people more productive than other people. But how do you how do you measure it? And if you're just doing averages of what the turnover is and then how many employees you've got, you, you're not plus plus taking into account the, the machinery and stuff. But yeah, but that, I still don't understand how then you can increase productivity without it. Just, you know, how do you work out how to increase productivity? That's my point. So a firm you know, produces a certain amount of goods or a certain amount of services, right? And then what you do to calculate the productivity of the firm is to divide the value of the services or the goods it produces by the number of people it employs. That gives you a measure of the productivity per person, or you divide that output services or goods by the numbers of hours worked by those employees. And that gives you productivity per hour. At the level of the whole economy, you look at national income, GDP, and you divide that number by the number of employees number of workers in a country and again you can get an hour you know a per hour number by dividing that enormous gdp number by the number of hours worked and the starting point for all of this is that the productivity of british firms is incredibly low for the vast majority but we also have some unbelievably super successful highly productive firms. So there is what you might call enormous inequality within the UK when it comes to productivity, enormous gaps. And at the level of the whole economy, we are massively less productive than our major competitive economies. We're about a third less productive than America, than Germany, significantly less productive than France. And that means we are poorer than those countries because you cannot pay people more than the value of their output. So one of the reasons we have low living standards in this country is because we are not productive enough. So the question is, why are we so less efficient? Because that's another way of talking about productivity. So I think at that point, I think I want to take us on to, I thought, an absolutely gripping report so this ONS 
uh, report, which was out on Monday, it confirmed something that a bloke called Andy Haldane, you'll have come across, yeah. did a lot of work on for the Bank of England a few years ago. He was chief economist at the Bank of England, and he's now got a variety of jobs. He's still influential in this in this world. And one of the things that he identified a number of years ago was that at the heart of Britain's economic problems is that inequality of income and of wealth appears to be rooted in incredible inequality gaps between the high productivity sometimes and the very low productivity of others, right? Yeah. And so one of the things that the ONS confirmed this week in a report they put out is that 70.6% of all workers in the UK work in firms whose labour productivity, that is their output, is below the average, Mm. right? And so they are working in substandard firms, right? What this report also shows is that this inequality between high productivity firms and low productivity firms has been getting worse, right? So in 2021, workers in firms, right, in what they call the 90th percentile, and the 90th percentile means the top sort of 10% most productive firms, their productivity is 3.7 times, that's almost four times as great as the average, right? That's an astonishing gap. And the way to sort of understand that in terms of why it matters to us, it means that if you work for one of those firms, your employer can afford to pay you four times as much as those at the bottom, right? Now, the other thing which is also related to all of this is that what they call business dynamism has slowed, right? And what the, the, in, in this awful jargon, and I'm going to just go through the jargon, the so-called reallocation rate has fallen from about a third in 2001 to a fifth. That's 30.7% in 2001 to 20.6% in 2022. What does that mean in, in normal language? So if you have a substandard firm, and actually in the jargon, a lot of people call these firms zombie firms, right? They shouldn't really exist because they perform really badly, right? In the old days, more of these substandard firms were put out of business, right? The banks would take control of them. The businesses would be closed down. And then the capital, the money that was freed up by closing down a firm, would be reallocated to a higher producing firm. Now, if you happen to work for a zombie firm that's closed down, it's pretty painful if you lose your job, right? So I'm not claiming that intrinsically there aren't human tragedies when a business goes bust in this way. But over the medium term, if you want to have a thriving dynamic economy, bust firms, or rather substandard firms, have to go bust if you want living standards to rise. Because you want capital in a thriving economy to go from the businesses that pay low wages because they can't afford to give people a decent income to the companies that are more productive that can afford to pay higher wages. And the great British disease is we have too many low-wage firms because we have too many low-productive firms. And you and I have talked repeatedly about the scandal of people living in poverty despite the fact they're in work. And the reason they live in poverty is because we have too many of these low productive firms and we have way more of these low productive firms, to use the jargon again, zombie firms, than almost any of our major competitor 
countries. And is the the reason why we have so many of these zombie companies is because that these are companies who are making just enough to get by and pay off the interest on their debts or whatever, but not actually repay the debt. And because credit has been so cheap, this has allowed them to kind of hide in plain sight, for want of a better phrase. So, so th- there have been an, a number of contributors, and one of them was definitely that in that 15 years of almost zero-cost credit, yes, it is the case that businesses that had really no right to exist continued to exist because they could borrow money and tide themselves over for longer. We also, and you'll remember this, because you know, at the height of the financial crisis in 2007, you know, 8, 9... The banks were under enormous pressure, political pressure, Mm. not to pull the rug on companies that, you know, frankly, by rights shouldn't have existed. So the banks got into the habit of sustaining businesses that probably should have been put out of misery. But there is another point. So in the old days, low productivity was blamed on overmighty trade unions. And, you know, the big Thatcher revolution was about smashing trade union power, creating a more deregulated labour market, a more competitive labour market. And it worked. Okay, unemployment fell. But at the same time, you basically transferred power from trade union negotiators to corporate bosses. Right. And it was a big shift of power and in a competitive labour market and particularly during that era where we had free movement of people from the rest of the European Union, you know, bosses basically got used to hiring cheap people rather than investing in, you know, expensive computers or IT or even in better buildings, even in, you know, the, you know, the basic infrastructure of their businesses. They basically substituted in the phrase cheap labour for capital. And it, when you substitute cheap labour for capital, right, you are able as an owner to generate lots of income. But the productivity of your individuals, the people you're working for you, is relatively low. In France, and indeed in Germany, they took a different approach. These, you know, their businesses, you know, invested in capital, and they were able to equipment, and they were able to pay their employees, the operators of that equipment, significantly more. And so, you know, wages in, you know, France and Germany, 20, 25% higher than in the UK on average. And that's because the productivity of those individuals is 20 to 25% higher. And part of the reason for that is, frankly, they don't have the kind of deregulated labour markets that we have had. And so that's one of the reasons why many people would say that the sort of Thatcherite deregulation went too far. So in summary, then, it's cheap money, cheap labour and not enough investment in technology. Right. Should we have a break? Yeah. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Looking to invest? Start your journey by exploring exchange-traded funds with GlobalX ETFs. Exchange-traded funds, or ETFs for short, create baskets of stocks, bonds, and other assets that you can buy in a single trade. 
GlobalX specializes in ETFs that track emerging trends, like the rise of artificial intelligence, as well as strategies aimed to generate income potential. Visit GlobalXETFs.com to discover how you can get started. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Now, the other interesting part of all of this, of course and this is the sort of other bit that is really vital, is productivity is also higher when you get clusters of cutting-edge businesses, actually particularly in the same geographical area. So an another really incredibly striking aspect of the UK's productivity issue is that we do have in this country a really extraordinary number of unbelievably productive firms, yeah. right? But most of those are in the city of London, yes. right? They are, th they're like our corporate lawyers and our management consultants and our investment banks and our um, fund managers. So there is an astonishing chart, a really astonishing chart in the ONS paper, which shows part of what we've been talking about, the vast numbers of firms with really low productivity, but then right at the top of the income distribution, right? There is a, a huge line, more than one and a half million people working for firms where productivity per person is more than £150,000, wow. right? So there are more than one and a half million Brits whose productivity is more than £150,000, yeah. right? And that absolutely, in one number, tells you everything about inequality in this yeah. country. Because A, you know, it tells you the gap between high earners and low earners. But guess where those firms are? They are almost all in London and the southeast. And if you look at the map of where low productivity firms are, they're in Wales, they're in the northeast, they're in the far north. And all those areas where we know that income and wealth is low are also the areas where there are just not enough high productivity yeah. firms, which is why this issue of productivity is so high. So to get back to my clusters point, the reason why you get in London and the Southeast these firms with this astonishingly high productivity is because for decades there have been world-leading lawyers, banks, fund managers, business consultants, all geographically located there, right? So one of the things that's always problematic for anybody who says, oh, it's terribly unfair that, you know, you've got the city and all these rich people, but they are an economic success story for this country. They generate enormous amounts of income, not just for the individuals, but they also generate enormous amounts of income for the government, because even though there's quite a lot of tax avoidance, they do pay tax, right? You know, we would be in dire straits, uh, as if a we country, didn't have if them. we didn't have this, these centres of but excellence. So the, so the question is, how do we get more of these centres of excellence, right? That is yeah. the big challenge. Because the thing that stood out to me, just based on what you were saying there in this ONS report as well, is in London, the output per hour 
worked was 33.2% above the UK average, whereas the output per hour worked in the northeast was 17.4% below the UK average. So that massive inequality is why we have the whole problem with the north-south divide, why, and you know, you mentioned Wales there as well, there's, there's incredible disparities in terms of the wealth distribution. So how do we solve it? How do we make areas that are struggling more productive so they can generate more wealth? Like for me, I think it's very much about skills. I don't think companies think broadly about, you know, where people are coming from who could do the jobs for them and improve their productivity. I think we're so siloed in our thinking in terms of what a skilled person is. There's someone with, you know, a million qualifications, quite often purely academic ones. Often now there's a lot of box ticking about diversity in terms of what you you look like perhaps, but there's very little focus on diversity of socioeconomics of people's background and and what they've you know the environments they've grown up in and and I think that could really improve productivity is actually thinking like where are we going to find the people who are going to come in and have a slightly different mindset about how to solve a problem let's go to the places where they're not encouraged to go into businesses like ours and actually quite a lot of companies talk to me about this they always say oh how do we get more people from your area into into our business I'm like well where are you recruiting where are you doing where are you finding people well we do the graduate fairs and we do this and I'm like get into the places where the next generation are Are you are you online like in terms of like you know you're doing stuff on YouTube have you got a TikTok and then they'll go oh well we've put out some YouTube videos yeah is it like a corporate video where you get a pan of your office and then you get someone stood next to the most exciting bit where they're slightly looking off camera and talking about how great it is to work there yes it is isn't it do something more interesting look at what your some of your younger workers are doing on TikTok and then copy them so I just think there's such this kind of view and whenever I talk to bosses about this they then always say to me oh I don't think our board would like that I don't think our shareholders would would like that they like all this corporate perfection but I think that's just so, so narrow-minded so you fit on a number of really important issues here. So yes, education skills at the heart of how you improve the productivity of individuals. So that's absolutely right. But that's a very, you know, it's important and it takes years, right? And we haven't had a relentless government focus on this in the way that we need over years and years and years. So that's important. No, but right? you could do but, that now. But, you could but, you could start. This is the thing. I, I no, don't, course, I no, don't no. buy this argument. It takes years because there will be people out there now, if you go to them in the right place of where they are, and more often than not online, you will find skills you oh, need yeah. in your business. I do think the education needs an overhaul, but I don't think, that, and that's much longer, but, but, but that, I think but that, there's a way of doing this my, now. But you're right. And that comes to the second point, which is that British management is not good enough. And there's, an, you know, I talked in an earlier programme about this LSE research. Yeah, you upset John a few people there room, saying, and, and, oh, British managers are lazy. <laughs> well, I didn't say they're lazy. I just said... It sounded like it. Uh, uh, it's, uh, well, <laughs> some of them are lazy, but uh, it was... And they, but actually, historically, there is quite a lot of data that shows historically they were lazy 20 years ago. They're not lazy anymore. They're just not good enough. Um, and, you know, as I say, there has been important research done in this area. LSE has got this extraordinary global database of corporates' performance. Uh, uh, and I'm afraid if you just look at something very basic like how much do British businesses generate from the same kind of investment as you know, is being made by American businesses, UK businesses do way worse. And the only rational explanation is just that managers are really bad 
at exploiting the technology and the kit that they've got compared to American businesses. That is a management failure. And so somehow we've got to improve the quality of management. And, you know, that is difficult. There was this idea, I remember 25 years ago, the way to to improve it was to attract loads of managers from abroad. And we still got quite a lot of, you know, overseas-born managers here in the UK. But for a whole variety of reasons, they're not coming here in in the numbers that they were. You know, they've got to be more homegrown. And it's not... You know, this is, we should come back to this. I don't know why um, we're not getting enough managers of quality developed in the UK. And that is, a, you know, it's an absolutely central challenge. But then there is this issue. Can um, I just say, if you're if you're listening and you think, I know why the management isn't yeah, yeah, as good, let us know, restismoney at gmail.com or send us them on the social media because you might, you might have an amazing boss you want to tell us about. You might have a shit one. Yeah, that, I, I, that's, that, that's definitely guaranteed to, to read Open those the floodgates. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, but then there is this clusters issue, right? And and this, we'll come back to this, I think, in a later episode. But one of the really obvious ways that you could massively generate higher growth through higher productivity is to do that really ambitious project of connecting Oxford and Cambridge because they are incredibly successful, particularly uh, you know when it comes to technology, whether it's biosciences or digital, um, incredibly powerful businesses around Oxford, around Cambridge. You know you have to relax planning laws. You have to allow more factory buildings, offices to be created. You need a lot more housing. And you know the biggest win in terms of growth that any new government could have would be to massively encourage the development of that connected Oxford-Cambridge, it's also about transport, corridor through deregulating planning and encouraging an enormous amount of, of development. Isn't that what the government's trying to do with free ports? That, you know, creating these kind of hub areas where there's, you know, tax incentives and it, it, fewer it, restrictions on planning. It, it is. And the, uh, just to be clear, because you're pointing something important, the problem with doing Oxford Cambridge, of course, is it will be seen as reinforcing, you know, the wealth and income of an already prosperous part of the country. Free ports, which are also a very good idea, uh, or investment zones, uh, you know, are about trying to develop less prosperous parts of the country. My issue around investment zones and free ports, however, is I am concerned that what they are doing is essentially encouraging businesses to relocate yeah. because there are going to be tax advantages. It's not immediately obvious that it's going to generate a significant amount of new investment, and it's the new investment we want. But then, absent an industrial strategy to create massive centres of excellence, you know, which is these clusters, you know, they will not be as productive as as we would want. So look, let's look at Teesside. You'll know more about this, but is your sense that essentially what's being created there will be a cluster of very similar organisations? Or are we just getting a whole disparate bunch of different businesses moving there that won't be able to learn from each other? In The the whole point about having a cluster is managers and employees learn from each other by being next to each other. It's amazing the difference that it makes to prosperity when you have businesses that are like each other doing similar things next to each other. It shows you that you get a sort of hidden collaboration 
that is really powerful. And I don't get a sense of that kind of driving strategic vision to create clusters, which is what we desperately need. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, we're, we're still waiting to see what's going to happen with this Freeport and side. But in terms of... I, I, can, I just, can I just make one final point? Because yeah. it's one of those... The common sense way of seeing why this matters is, have you ever noticed that when you get like one antique shop, you get like a whole load yeah, of them yeah, all yeah. together. It's true, but right? that... And the reason for that, it's, it's got two advantages, right? Customers know where to find the antique shops and the antique shops themselves sort of, you know, they have a sort of informal network if they're next yeah. to each other and that improves the business of those. So there is a natural propensity for businesses that are alike to be together and it is amazing how much more successful they are when they are yeah. together. I think that's the argument for like the devolution, isn't it? In terms of giving areas control over what they focus on and I've certainly been to quite a few different events now where areas do want to create clusters of particular sectors and do that but it's easier said than done. So after all of that would you say we've been productive Robert today <laughs> what do you, you reckon and, is this? you and I I think if you asked around you know our world I would reckon people would mostly say about you and me why do they work so hard not always too good of it I mean, you know we might also be wasting our time yeah, so exactly. maybe, we're, maybe we're not as productive as we think <laughs> who knows excellent thanks very much for listening everyone if you do want to send in any questions or thoughts email us restismoney at gmail.com or you can send in uh, anything via our socials as well just search for the rest is money but that's it from us for this special productive episode bye 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 bye